Well, good evening, everyone, and um, welcome to Young Urban Zen. Um, I am Michael McCord, and I am the CFO of San Francisco Zen Center, which is three temples, um, Green Gulch Farm up north, Tassajara down south near Big Sur, and then this one here in San Francisco. And um, we have been around in this building since 1969, and this used to be the Jewish Women's Center, so you'll notice a lot of um, Stars of David and the ironwork and stuff like that. Um, and um, this is a community temple for people to come and to sit. We actually have a meditation every morning at 540. Um, whenever you see a time in a Buddhist monastery, especially a Zen monastery, for like something is scheduled for a, a sit, just subtract five minutes. Because they usually are doing stuff with the priests and incense and whatever beforehand, and you show up and you're like, it's 540, I want to come in. They're like, no, 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 can't come in right now, they're offering incense. And you're like, well, why did you post it at 540? I don't know. That's what they always do. So that's what we do. But then I tell people, show up five minutes earlier at the latest, and then you can get in the room. So right outside there on Laguna, there's two doors, and they're white, and they're opened at um, 5.25 in the morning, and they're opened again at 6 a.m. So if you wanted to come before um, work or whatever, um, school, you could come there, go through those doors, and then there will be a person on the other side who could tell you how to get into the meditation hall if you wanted to join us for meditation. And there's also meditation online um, at sfzc.org um, that has online meditation where there's people all around the world that sit in our online Zendo. Uh, Zendo is the word that we use for meditation hall. So um, this is um, a place we also have a talk on Saturday. We have a, a one-day sit this Saturday in case anyone wanted to come and sit. Um, it's not, you don't like sit down and sit for the whole day, but it's an all-day sit, and so there's many sits during the day, and then um, during the day um, there's walking meditation, sitting meditation, a lecture, lunch, breakfast, dinner, but it's like a whole day um, engaged in meditative sitting and practice. So um, the um, um, invitation, if you wanted to join, you could go to sfzc.org, um, or the invite that I sent out to the Yes list has a link um, to the, the sign-up page, um, or you can go to sfzc.org and Google me, because I'm leading the sit this Saturday, and my name is Michael McCord, um, M-C-C-O-R-D, and you could find the one-day sit, so that's happening this Saturday. Um, and. Um, are there any extra seats or any extra cushions on the ground anywhere? There's a seat in the corner that isn't being taken. And we've got a, a, a round cushion here, another round cushion there. And there's plenty of seats on the floor. So feel free to, to jump in and just um, get in between folks. And there's places over here. And yeah, there's lots of space in the middle here. Um, so yeah, don't, don't worry. Um, just jump in. So. Um, yeah, so this is a, a community temple. Young Urban Zen does a lot of activities. They even have retreats sometimes down at Tassajara. We had one um, this summer. So I'm really glad that you're here. Um, what I wanted to talk about this evening, and if you got the email, maybe you um, know what the su subject is already, so you know, spoiler alert. Um, but it's called the shadow side, and that's what I wanted to talk about, is the shadow side. Um, the shadow side in the spiritual path, if you will, or in the personal development path, would be um, the side of me or you that um, I don't accept, or that I don't like so much. 
um, you know, you could call it the um, you could call it the petty, ugly, jealous, immature, undeveloped, um, whatever part of me. The part of me that feels like is maybe um, feels like it's broken, um, needs to be fixed. That is what we call the shadow side. Because oftentimes the shadow side is what we spend all of our life either trying to hide from other people or hide from ourselves. Or one day we decide we're going to work on ourselves, and all we do is focus on the shadow side and all this stuff about me that's wrong that needs to be fixed. And one day after I sit, you know, 10 years of Zazen, then maybe I will be an acceptable person and that kind of mentality. And that is what I want to focus on this evening is the shadow side. And what is the shadow side? You know, and what is the best way to deal with our shadow side? The side that we wish was different. I've never met a person that didn't wish that there was at least one thing about themselves that was different. You know, it's like, I wish I was blank, blank, blank. Better organized, more kind, more dedicated, harder working, not so hard working, more balanced, more loving, more compassionate more insightful, more wise, more intelligent, less in my head, more in my head. You know, everyone has something that they feel that they wish was a little bit different. And what is it like when you find yourself in the midst of one of those things that's caused by the weakness I'm always late, and here I am in the middle of being late. Or here I am always maybe talking, um, blurting things out. I don't think before I talk, and I just say stuff, and I sometimes hurt people. And here I've just hurt somebody. And they shouldn't be so hurt, but I'm kind of mad at myself. You know? But they shouldn't be so hurt, but I'm kind of mad at myself. <laughs> you know? What is it like to be in the midst of your shadow side? You know? and the things that we can do that shoot ourselves in the foot. Oftentimes what we do, certainly what I'm inclined to do, what I was raised to do, was to get really strict with myself and be like, Michael, you know that inner, the inner voice you have in your head whenever you do something on your shadow side? The thing that you've done like oftentimes or many times, or here I'm doing it again or whatever, and you catch yourself doing it, and you have a certain voice. A certain voice that talks about, talks to you about uh, how your behavior is, you know, and it's usually not a nice voice, you know. It's usually, it sometimes comes with a lot of really colorful words, you know, and, um, you know, just it's, it, it sounds, sounds like somebody who's being berated in the military, you know. And um, most people have some version of that voice inside. Now, what would happen if you raised a child from age zero to age five with the voice that you use to address your shadow side? What kind of human being would that be? Would they be healthy? Would they be centered? Would they be... Chances are that would be a very anxious, uptight, worried, little being. It would not be a very healthy existence. But that is what we do. 
and what our invitation is in this practice is to learn that the way I would talk to a friend who's struggling with something, if you, if you run across your friend that's dealing with their shadow side and something that they've done over and over again and you know it's their weakness and they, they realize it and they're distraught about it, you don't sit down with your friend and go, how could you? <laughs> what were you thinking? You shouldn't do that. Don't do that again. That would be terrible. That would crush your friend. That would be awful. What do you do for your friend? You make space. You let them know that you're there. You basically offer acceptance. Maybe you're not saying what you did is great, yay. But if you're a friend, you're offering acceptance. You as a human being, I am holding space for you and I'm here because I care about you, I love you, and I want you to have the space to be a human being. That's what you're doing for your friend. That's what you're doing for a child that is distraught at school, who comes home because of something that they weren't good at. And you, your heart goes out to them, and you make space for them, and you accept them. Now, how hard is that to do for ourselves? It can be very hard to do for ourselves, especially if that's not how we were raised, if that's not the habit. And there's almost something that we ingest in our society that says that um, if I'm doing something wrong, I need to be hard on myself, and then I won't do it again. That kind of this, then that, then this. If I'm harder on myself, then I won't repeat that activity, and I can't just let this go. You know, obviously it's bad behavior. I can't just be nice to myself because then I'll just take advantage of that and I'll just run around with bad behavior. No, we've got we've got an inner voice that keeps telling us, you know, this isn't working. This isn't working. But one of the things in Buddhism that I want to just unpack a little bit is that the Buddhist concept of the human being is that you are in alignment with the universe. To sit here, think about this. I mean, think about all the millions and billions of causes and conditions and phenomenology and biology and everything that has to be happening for you to have one moment of consciousness. I mean, there's a lot, a lot that's aligned with the universe for you just to be sitting here and to be understanding a language and to be sitting upright and to be thinking thoughts and breathing air and to be existing as you're existing. There is a lot that is in great alignment with the universe. And the thought is <clears throat> that our fears, our stories, our narratives, our worries, our concepts that have been placed on top of all of that beautiful alignment is what is keeping us from actually living our life, being us. All the stories I have about Michael and how he was brought up and my place in the family and who liked me and what I was good at and all of those stories, if I start to unpack it, I've got thousands and thousands of stories about me. And that's why when we were sitting Zazen earlier, I invited you to just sit 
and not analyze anything that happens, anything that comes up. And when I gave you that example of that person that you thought about in the meeting last week, and then what about, why did they say that thing, and I really don't like that person, and blah, 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 and I bet his mother was like thus and such. And it's like all of that story that we start to unfold, what if we just let that thing pop up that was that first initial molecule of thought or whatever thoughts are and it pops up like popcorn and it's just the thought of that thing that happened in that meeting and usually the thought that pops up has a body reaction if you're really kind of sitting zazen and kind of being with the stuff that comes up you'll notice that it's not just a thought but it's also a twinge in my shoulder blades it's also a little ping in my stomach it's also a little tightness in my triceps it's it's something that i'm holding in my body that's attached to that memory of that thing that person said in that meeting and just being with just the thing that happened and not the story that i'm going to put on top of it and the, the constant bait that I've got to analyze and categorize everything. What if I could actually just be in touch with my body's reaction to this? And what if I could just hold it loosely and not chase it away, but not tell any story about it? Don't play whack-a-mole. No, go away. And don't hold on to shiny objects like a squirrel. I don't know if you know the story of the of um, it's raccoons. Raccoons hold on to shiny objects, and that's how you actually that's how you actually trap raccoons. Is you get a little tiny nook in a tree, and you place a really shiny bead in that nook, and then the raccoon will come along. I mean, this is this is a true story. This is how people trap raccoons. And the raccoon will come along, and they will put their hand in that little nook, and they'll get a hold of that bead, but then they can't get their hand out because it's too small with their hand holding the bead. And you can walk right up to a raccoon that's holding that shiny object with a bag. <laughs> Not that I go around bagging raccoons <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but you can go up with a bag and you can put a bag around the raccoon and the raccoon will maybe fight you but it's not going to let go of that shiny bead. And you can actually trap a raccoon inside a bag just by getting like the right size place for that nook. The shiny object, the thing that we want to hold on to, the thought sometimes about, I really want to analyze this, I really want to pick this apart, or I really want to daydream about this, or whatever. But those are stories. And it's not bad to have a story, but, but we get so caught up in our stories that oftentimes we really can't see what's going on. And that's the thing we're doing in, in meditation, in zazen, is we're trying to be with what's going on and to kind of get through the fog of all of those stories that we tell ourselves all day long about this person and that person and this person and that person and then me and this person and that person and this person and then me and then all these stories. And we get outside of those stories and we just let stuff just pop up like popcorn. And we're just there with it. And the shadow side that pops up is that part that's petty, that's jealous, that's angry, that's four years old. If you're four, that's fine. But there's this, and there's this illusion that um, all the other people are adults and 
I'm supposed to be an adult, but I know that there's like a lot of categories where I'm not an adult. But people can't know that. And I need to keep everyone away from that, maybe even me away from that, and tell stories, build some really nice facades so that people can see the facades. And, um, but yeah, this, this thing inside oftentimes is so protected and so kept down that over time you lose touch with exactly what it is. And you lose touch with its shape and everything. And, and, and it's just the story actually becomes the thing that you're much more in touch with rather than the actual thing that you're keeping yourself from. And so this is a true unveiling process through sitting. Because uh, I call it an acceptance practice where you're sitting. Because you're, you're basically accepting what the universe is giving you moment after moment as it's coming up. This is what's coming up. And I'm learning to exercise the muscle of non-judgmental mind. Doesn't mean I approve of me being petty and thinking about that person and hoping that their project will fail. <laughs> it just means that that, that that came up and hmm. And can I hold that spaciously the way that you would want to hold and be holding space for your friend when your friend is going through something where they are petty or jealous or angry or distraught or doing something that is destructive for them. Now it's not to say that there aren't habits and things we can fall into that it's really good to seek professional help. I'm not saying that meditation will cure all and I really think that it's great for people at times to you know, see a psychiatrist or go talk to a social worker or somebody who can really you know, help unpack something. Sometimes medication is also you know, the thing to do. I've done all of those things before with different times in my life, including after I lived in the monastery. So it's not just that the monastery you know, cures all. But I do think that this is a practice that can be honed that is like a muscle of learning to be with non-judgmental mind, to learning to let the things come up that are happening around me without having to instantly label them and put a story on them. And to learn after a period of time to see the body reactions that are actually happening in concert with those thoughts that are coming up and to getting to really know myself and to know my experience. Because oftentimes it's the shadow side that we want to keep away and we don't get in touch with. And we actually, on some level, are not treating it the way we're treating our thoughts in Zazen. And that's why we're practicing. Because oftentimes we haven't learned how to accept the shadow side. We haven't learned to accept, not approve, but accept. Th this is what's going on. This is how I show up. This is the way that I tend to be. And only through that acceptance can it start to morph. Because in Western medicine, we, you know, and I think Western medicine has, has evolved a lot in the last 30 years, but there's still this thought sometimes in my head, almost like a visual image of the thing inside me that's not the way it should be, and me doing surgery, like going in like a surgeon, like I'm gonna work on this thing, and then that thing is gonna get taken out of me, and then I'm going to be like a good person or a wise person or maybe just an acceptable person or whatever. Um, and that isn't usually how those things work. Usually our habits and our tendencies and the way that we are tends to be wrapped around every atom and molecule in our body. A non-surgical situation. 
you will kill the patient if you remove it. You know, I tend toward the impatient. That's where I tend toward. And I lived one time in a country that had a really um, just um, a really um, difficult infrastructure in regard to buses and things being on time and all the rest of it. And the whole time I lived there, you know, I was really working on my patience. And I just said, when I get back to the U.S., I am never going to complain again. I'm never going to complain again. I need to just be like, like, oh, you know, it's just, it's so, you know, yeah, the bus is 40 minutes later. Yeah, there's no bus today. Huh, well, I guess I'm walking. But, you know, and... Um, it took me probably three or four days living back in the United States before I was complaining about things and being impatient with people and, you know, all the rest of that. Um, I will probably tend toward that the rest of my life as an energy, as an energy. But the way people tend to morph through a spiritual practice tends to be like a river getting slowly diverted, not like someone building a dam. And so if you have someone that comes and they're working toward a spiritual practice and their shadow side is, let's say, anger, and they're always working on their anger, they're probably not going to become like this really passive person that, you know, has trouble like finding energy. They're probably going to become more of a passion person that learns how to channel that anger that is currently really, you know, making their life difficult. And, um, and, and, and channeling it into something else. That's the way the morphing tends to happen. But here's the, here's the catch. You don't know how you're going to morph. And that's the thing about the spiritual practice that takes this weird word that we call faith. And people usually have put faith in this weird place. Faith is just like, I'm going to have to suspend disbelief and think that maybe this is a good idea. Like, for instance, you all came here to Young Urban Zen. That's faith. You had faith that it was a good idea. Now, you didn't know I was speaking. Maybe you think that was a bad idea now. But when you first came here, you at least had some sort of faith that, like, this was a good idea. And so that's the sort of faith that you, you um, in, embark, in these, in, embark into these things with without this concept that I know what it's going to be like. Because... I don't know what it would be like not to be an impatient person when I started this practice. And I can envision that, but I might actually be um, creating a, a limitation by envisioning how it would be. Let's say I'm an angry person, and then I have a vision of what it would be like not to be an angry person. But until that, actually, that, that transformation happens, I don't know what that's going to be like. And so I just let go of the idea of what it's going to be like. And I just learned to sit and let what comes up and learn how to be with acceptance of what's coming up. That's how a child morphs and learns, is that people hold space for them. They hold space for them. They're like, okay, here we are. And I've used this analogy before, so forgive me if you've heard this before, but I, I like the way it illustrates the point. You take your nine-month-old, to Whole Foods and you're going to buy frozen peas. And you have them in the cart and you're going down the aisle and the nine month old is just fine. And then you get yourself into the frozen food section where there's all those fans and it gets a little bit more chilly and the nine month old gets a little bit scared. And so they start to cry. And here's the nine month old crying in the middle of the frozen food section. Now, you are not in that situation going to rationally try to reason with the baby. 
Because you, you're not going to talk to them about not being anxious. The same way you're not going to talk to yourself about not being anxious or not being afraid or not being scared or not being whatever you are. You aren't going to talk your way out of it. You aren't going to reason your way out of it. What do people instinctively do with a baby that's crying in the frozen food section while searching for frozen peas? They just hold the baby. And the baby is absorbing that energy, that setting, that context. It just kind of knows that someone's making space for me and that um, it's going to be maybe okay here soon. You know? Someone's just making space for me. And that's what we're doing with this acceptance practice in Zazen every morning or every evening or whenever you sit meditation is we're sitting with an acceptance practice like we're holding space for ourselves as we're crying in the middle of Whole Foods frozen food section. That's what we're doing. We're saying, look, I'm not going to reason my way out of this one. It's just how I'm feeling. And then learning to do that in a micro sort of way that happens throughout the day, where you catch that inner voice before it jumps in and starts yelling at you and using all sorts of expletives or reminding you that you always do this. But setting your default before it actually happens, because you've practiced it, you've actually built a muscle around holding space. And through that, you actually start to um, morph in a way that feels grounded. The practice of Zazen expands the emotional reservoir because you get less afraid with what's coming up because you've dealt with it before. You've seen it. You haven't looked away from it. You've been there with it. And we have this um, we have this this ceremony here on October 31st. Some people think it's Buddhist Halloween, and it's similar. We do have costumes. If you ever come here for Sajiki, you'll see these big paintings with ghosts on the wall with like these little tiny throats. And, um, and, it's, and, and, and we reverse, the, we cover this altar, we put the altar over there, and we bring out fruit and vegetables and different gifts and candy, cakes. And um, it, it's playing a host to the shadow side. Um, to the dark side, to the hungry ghosts. The, 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 the hungry ghosts have these little tiny throats and these huge mouths. You know, it's like the, the people that are, you know, avaricious and like, you know, greedy, but then they can't actually swallow, you know. And just like being in torment of that kind of thing. And that's how we are oftentimes in our life. We're kind of in, we torment ourselves with our behaviors, you know. And this is learning to play host and saying, you know, look, we are going to be um, a host to the untamed spirits of the wilderness, the, the demons that we have inside, however you want to look at them, demons, ghosts, just personal fetters, however you, you, you imagine it. But the, the, the thing inside that is basically um, not aligned and is constantly that skipping record. And can I be the host to that? And, and not just like, okay, I'll accept it, but on that day, we're actually being a host. Like, we are um, opening up the doors and saying, um, come in, we totally accept you. We totally accept you. And how much easier is it for you to do things if someone totally accepts you, if you feel that inside? So we choose not to go to war with ourselves and we don't look at ourselves like we need to be fixed 
We look at ourselves as though we're already in alignment with the universe in millions and billions of ways. But we've got some stories, we've got some fears, we've got some things that we've learned that sit on top of that beautiful unity that have us a little bit tortured, a little bit afraid, a little bit anxious, a little bit whatever. And if we can just learn to be with those things and to sit with those things and to accept them, then we can start to morph if we don't go to war with them. You know, you can choke on a little tiny, you know, bean. It doesn't take much to choke. Now, my throat passageway is way bigger than a bean. But as I dip into that hummus, and they've got those garbanzos on the top with the olive oil, and I take a bite, and that one chickpea gets stuck right here in my throat, what's going to happen? My throat is going to constrict around that chickpea, and then I'm not going to have any air, and then I'm going to choke. Now there's plenty of room for me to actually breathe if my throat's relaxed. If I have space just for like, you know, everything I need. But it's the constricting around the garbanzo bean that makes me choke. And that's what we do so much with our life, is that something comes up, and yes, it's a thing, it's a stuck garbanzo bean, but how I react to it is something that's not spacious. And all of a sudden, I start to lose oxygen. And now it's not working. Now I'm having a bit of a panic attack. Now I'm having a bit of, oh no, here we go again. But this is a daily practice. So I invite you to um, have a zazen practice, have a meditation practice, find time where you can give that discursive analytical mind that so many people in the Bay Area put on a pedestal, which is great. I love to analyze things. I spent a long time in tech and then a long time in banking. Um, I love thinking through problems. And that mind can also plague me to the ends of the earth. And it's great to give, you, give yourself a break where your only responsibility on the planet is to sit and breathe. And all those other things that come up, they're just a way of getting in touch with what is me, my story, and not discerning that, oh, those are the things I don't like about myself. In time, those things can morph into something much more healthy if you don't go to war with yourself. And you just hold space like you would hold for a little child or a good friend. <laughs>